the beginning uh, of Luke chapter 2, verse 1, it talks about um, there being a decree going out from Caesar Augustus. All the world should be registered. And uh, it talks about uh, verse 2. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to be registered, each to his own town. Now, actually, this tells us, of course, the Christmas story is rooted in history. Uh, and Luke is um, quite well known amongst secular historians for being an accurate uh, um, uh, narrator of events um, in, the, in the Gospels, but not only of specific historical events, but also of customs and laws that are reflected both in Luke and in the, and in the Acts of the Apostles. Um, actually, uh, there has been a dispute over this, this, uh, this census of Quirinius, because some historical sources talk about an, a, a, a different time when Quirinius uh, gave the census. But even in the text here, it's quite clear that Luke realizes that there was more than one census by Quirinius. He says this was the first registration of Quirinius. And you only say this was the first one if you know there was another one. Um, so in fact, it, the Christmas story is not a cunningly devised fairy tale. It's been made into a fairy tale, I'm afraid, in our culture, because, of course, rather than concentrating on the actual text of the Bible and the real emphases of the Bible, our, uh, you know, our culture concentrates on all the fluff, you know, of uh, the, 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 the outward uh, uh, things that happen in the story without looking at the inner meaning. And uh, uh, unfortunately, because, you know, children do the... Uh, do the nativity story in schools all of the time. My, my grandson stood by one just a few days ago. Unfortunately, because that is the only portrayal that people know, they then think, oh, it's only a child story for fairy tales. No, it is a story that children, small children can understand, and it's perfectly appropriate, I think, to do little plays about it for little children. But because adults are not reading the Bible, or if they read the Bible, they read the Bible ignorantly and are not really looking at what the text says, they miss out the whole point of the story. Now, the whole point of the story is not a fairy tale story at all. In fact, it's about a grim reality, about a dark, evil world. The, the season in which we have Christmas is appropriate. We don't know the exact date date of, of uh, Christmas, the, the Bible chooses not to give it. So uh, it obviously doesn't matter the exact day in which Jesus is born, whether it was December the 25th or October the 25th. But it is in the time of the year of dark, long, dark nights. And the thing is that the Bible makes it clear that actually the world symbolically has been living a long, dark night for thousands of years, ever since the first man sinned. The uh, period in which Jesus was brought into was not any darker than the history down the ages. But it was dark. Let me give you an example. Uh, during the time of the Roman Empire, in which the population of Europe was a fraction of what it is today, a fraction. But during the period of the Roman Empire, 13 million people were killed as a direct, war, as a direct result of the wars that the Romans engaged in to conquer the whole of Europe. 13 million people. We don't include the million or so people that died in gladiatorial arenas. The cruelty of that empire, that darkness of those times in which Jesus lived. 
The thing is, the great darkness of war and murder, though, is carried on right down through the ages. We're, those of us who are my age, baby boomers, as they were called, born uh, soon after the war, lived in a protected bubble of peace for most of our lives. Certainly from the end of the Korean War, 19, early 1950s onwards, we haven't had war uh, that really has impinged much upon our lives. When there's been a foreign war, there's been, you know, a few hundred or, uh, troops may have been killed from this country, but relatively we've lived in this bubble where we've been protected by what's called the balance of terror. Because we've had nuclear bombs, and uh, the, uh, the uh, adversaries have had nuclear bombs. We're all threatening one another for the last you know, 80 years that, we, that if we go to war, there's going to be a nuclear war. And so far, nothing has happened. And so we have the impression that somehow, oh, you know, the peace we have is, so, is, is like, that's what it should be like, because that's what it's always like. No. The history of the world has been one of constant wars, every generation. And uh, the fact that we've had this very unrealistic time of peace for 80 years in Britain, uh, Falkland War excluded, but again, that was a long way away in a foreign land, and we haven't actually been touched by it. We, we need to understand that this is a dark and, and gloomy world in which Christ came, but there's, a, there's a, a positive side to this. Christ came into this dark world of the Roman Empire, but he brought life and light and joy. And there is absolutely zero reason why any person who believes in Jesus should be filled with gloom because of the darkness that surrounds us. Because actually, although the darkness of history, society, and, its, uh, and, it, and the wickedness that we may see uh, happening in other parts of the world, or perhaps nearer to home, those who have received Christ have got the light of life. And uh, particularly... Um, ordinary people. Now, in our text that we're looking at, we're told, uh, uh, in, uh, as, as we carry on there, it says, um, after um, Joseph and Mary had, had gone to Bethlehem, we're told in verse, uh, verse 8, and in the same region there were shepherds out in the fields keeping watch over their flocks by night. Um, what were shepherds? Well, shepherds are the equivalent of uh, petrol pump attendants, people who work in supermarkets, um, ordinary Joes doing ordinary jobs, uh, even, might I say, teachers <laughs> who uh, you know, are out tending their flock every day, uh, uh, being attacked by their flocks rather than tending the flocks sometimes. Um, but the thing is, ordinary people doing an ordinary job. And we're told that there where they were doing their job, and suddenly, it says in verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Now, as a matter of interest, they were in the fields near Bethlehem. Bethlehem wasn't far from Jerusalem at all, you know. Um, Bethlehem was about as far from Jerusalem as we are from London Bridge. And it, London Bridge isn't far away, is it? I mean, you get, get on a bus and then get in there in 15 minutes, 20 minutes, certainly in a car uh, on a good day. You can get from uh, here to London Bridge in, in maybe under 15 minutes easily. Not very far. Certainly walkable distance. Now, the fields outside, outside of Bethlehem actually contained large numbers of sheep. Henry mentioned uh, this morning that uh, the, famous, um, the famous shepherd of, of Bethlehem from hundreds and a thousand years before was David. Um, but he, tended to, he was uh, um, looking after sheep alone. Why were there a group of shepherds? Well, the answer were, was that in the fields of Bethlehem 
Well, the large flocks of shepherds kept their most of the year round, and these sheep and the lambs that were born from these sheep were used in the sacrifices that went on year after year, right the way through the year, but particular times of the year, they particularly uh, they sacrificed many, many sheep in Jerusalem. That's why they were there. Um, but although they, the sheep had a religious purpose, the shepherds weren't particularly religious. We know from uh, Jewish texts of the day and afterwards that the, sh- the shepherds weren't very religious people. Um, certainly later on they were despised and held as being particularly godless, you know, swearing and, uh, and rough and perhaps violent sometimes. But here we have it, this amazing fact. The angel of God appeared amongst them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Now, what happened can only be called sheep shock. <laughs> now, what do I mean sheep shock? Well, I'm going to think about the shepherds in a minute, but I want to point out that the sheep would have been affected by what was an extraterrestrial appearance. What's an extraterrestrial? And, well, someone not from this planet. Well, these angels were not from this planet. They come from the glory. And we're told that the whole place lit up with the glory of God. Now, we know about sheep that sheep get scared when, like dogs and and cats actually get scared by fireworks, so do sheep get scared by lightning storms. They're scared by the the sound and they get scared by the light. And a ripple of fear must have gone through those sheep the same as it went through the through the, uh, the, the shepherds when suddenly there was this gigantic explosion of glorious radiant light and an angel appeared. And Uh, If we look what it says, it says, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the Greek uh, is kind of, um, they feared with great fear. They feared of great fear. They were terrified, the shepherds. Now, we know that sheep uh, have an excellent sense of smell, and we have ground to believe that just like dogs and cats, um, they can smell the adrenaline, uh, of a human being, uh, and uh, which sometimes signifies fear. Sometimes it can f- signify an attack, but often signifies fear. They can pick it up, and they can pick up other hormones that uh, signals that human bodies give off under stress. So these sheep, I think, <laughs> we're in sheep shock. Um, but I want to, you know, now go from you know the the amusing to the really serious, because the sheep feared irrationally out of instinct because their, their, own, their, their people looking after them were, were scared and they you know, probably have picked it up and scared of the, the light and the sound. But the shepherds were filled with dread, not because just that they were surprised by a strange, massive you know, set of sounds coming, but also the, the glory of the Lord shining about them because they knew what it meant. They knew what it meant. They were filled with dread because they knew as Jews who had been brought up, whether they were sinners or not, in terms of, you know, uh, had been sinful Jews specifically, drunkards and liars and cheats, which some of the shepherds were, whether they'd been like that or not, or whether they'd been very religious Jews, they knew that their scriptures told them no man can see God and live. They knew that when the Shekinah glory of God shone around, people were in imminent fear of death. The radiant glory 
of God, which was the Shekinah glory, which is mentioned in the Old Testament on a number of occasions, was a time of great fear because your number was up. You were about to face God and he was going to hold you to account and you'd be judged and you'd die seeing that Shekinah glory. They were in dread. And they, unlike the sheep, who just, you know, were scared, they, had, they knew why they were in dread because they knew that they were facing a holy God. Uh, in Hebrews 12:21, it says about Moses um, that when he was face to face with the glory of God as the, as the Ten Commandments were given, it was so terrifying, Moses said, I am trembling with fear. And in a passage from Isaiah, which I think is uh, very relevant to this, in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah has this vision of God, and in it, he, he sees God and he hears the angels crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And he, he is far from being happy. He's absolutely terrified. And he says, woe is me. In other words, help me. I, well, oh, I'm dead. He cries out, woe is me. I am ruined. Now, why? Isaiah is very specific about his own life. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm finished. God is going to judge me. I'm, I'm going to die. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. I've seen his glory. He was aware of specific sins. Now, you may not have particularly unclean lips. Before, When I was a teenager, uh, when I was a young teenager, I, 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 was I, mean, I, I, I uh, had a real problem with obscene uh, language, but also even blasphemous language, which I'd learned at an early age from various, various people. And uh, I had a real problem with it. Um, now, you may have that problem, but you might have other problems. The Lord will point out to us the areas of sin in our life that you are ashamed of and are ashamed of before the living God. And we, we need to remember that Isaiah and the shepherds were being realistic. This fear was not an irrational phobia. You know, like someone's afraid, afraid of spiders. Oh no, it's terrifying of spiders. No, that's irrational. But it is rational. It is facing reality to be afraid of God, the living God. And the fact that he has the power to cast us into everlasting darkness, everlasting burnings, everlasting hell. This isn't uh, trying to scare you into, into uh, the kingdom of God. It's just talking about reality. That is what God is like. But I want us to notice that both Isaiah and the shepherds and the shepherds are presented having seen the glory of God and being terrified and filled with dread. They're given a remedy for their, for their, uh, for their fear. And it says, in, if, you, if you're looking still at the text, it says, And the angel said to them, after they were filled with this dread, he said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For to you this day is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. They were told, Don't fear, there's someone to save you. There's no need to dread because someone has saved you. Now, this is exactly what happened to Isaiah. In his vision, he, he, was, he, he cried, woe is me, I'm ruined. And then it says, one of the angels, 
in fact, because he, he's recording his uh, message and wrote it down, he says, one of the angels, one of the seraphim, that was the name of one of the angels, flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he'd taken with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth. What does that mean? Coals. Now, the thing is, in the altar, the temple, when sacrifices were given, the sacrifices were put onto actually stones. In fact, the word that is translated in most versions as coals um, probably is referring to the, the, the red-hot stones that were kept on top of the coals, which the sacrifice was laid on, the burnt offering that was to be burnt up. Now, these burnt offerings were often offered for various reasons, but one of the things they were used for was specifically for a sacrifice for sins. And basically... Isaiah is told that one of these stones with the effects of the burnt offering have been is taken and, and is pressed into his lips and cleans his lips. Now this is, these are symbols. Uh, it was a vision. didn't actually happen. But it's representing the fact that the death, the sacrifice, has been if you like, the effects of that have been, uh, have been soaked into the stone. The blood has soaked into this red-hot stone and, uh, and been burnt. But the effects of that are then pressed into the soul of Isaiah. His filth is cleaned away. And it says, with it he touched my mouth. See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Your sin is atoned for. Now, that is exactly what it means when the angel said, a savior is born to you. What? Not, not a military leader, not someone who's going to put a million pounds in their bank account, not someone who's just going to change uh, their lives, you know, to make them live, a, uh, you know, the lives of, live, live the life of their dreams on earth. No, not at all. The savior has come to save their soul forever. So that when we leave this world, we will enter into glory. And when this good news is applied to the soul and believed, there's a transfer of all of the gifts of God, of salvation, forgiveness, redemption, new life to our souls. And so, the angel says, uh, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For to you this born in, is born in this day the city of David, a saviour who is Christ the Lord. Now, this person was born for you. Now, there may be someone listening online, maybe in the congregation, that isn't quite sure that they have been saved. And uh, it may be that you've never actually ever asked Jesus Christ to be your savior. Well, here the word of God says it. The Bible says, to you this day, the shepherds, ordinary people, sinners, Dirty rascals, perhaps. Maybe they were very nice shepherds, but they might have been dirty rascals. Whoever they were, to you is born this day in the city of David a saviour. And this is going to be a sign to you that it's for you he's come. Well, what sign could it give, give a, a, a dirty rascal that someone's come to save them? Well, God in his wisdom chose that the baby that was born, that was going to be Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, was born and then put in a dirty feeding trough of an animal. And there, there, the one who'd come from glory was not put into a cot in a king's palace, but was in a stable 
uh, or uh, in a, it, it might have been in some, some uh, house in which the part of the house was devoted to where the animals were living, but whatever it was, it was a place that was where a poor man only would ever have been put. I mean, you know, people, people knew that it was not appropriate to put a baby in a feeding trough. They, know, they knew that. But Mary and Joseph had no choice. There was no room for them in the inn. There was, no, there was no beds for them. There was no place for them to put the child, apart from a dirty feeding trough. And that was a sign to the shepherds. This message is for you, mate. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your background is, what your class, what your, what your, what your race, what your, uh, your, what your abilities are, however old, young you are. It's for you, this message. God has come into this world and has become the poorest of the poor for you because he wants you to become rich. That's why it's a, a message of great joy for all the people. Now, I want to finish by saying this. Well, the story doesn't just finish there with the, when the angel disappears because, and he tells them, this is a, this is wonderful message for you, that the Savior is born for you. But what do we find that the shepherds actually do? They don't say, oh, that's interesting. Right, let's get back to shepherding. We need to respond, and they felt the need to respond to this wonderful message. And they say in verse 15, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which is the Lord has made known to us. And they went quickly, they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Now, if, if the Lord is speaking to you, maybe online and maybe thinking about Christianity in the church, and God has been speaking to you and you know, Lord, I know I'm a dirty rascal in your sight. I have failed you. I've broken your commandments. I've, I've, I've been like a lost sheep. You know that. You respond quickly. You come to Jesus now. You don't wait for, for two weeks. By two weeks, the devil takes away messages to people here in church or anywhere. You know, that's the way it works. If you, if you don't respond to the, to the message now, you are very likely to have that message taken away. The devil may send along uh, someone to tempt you. So you get in, involved in something uh, where, you, where you sin and fail and then you feel, oh, no, I'm not bothered with, no, 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 I'll, maybe I'll return to it sometime and then you never get the chance. Or maybe, maybe the devil will uh, bring someone along who will come along and say, oh, no, it's all a fairy tale, you can't believe that and you feel too weak to, to resist their uh, attack upon you. No, you respond now and you respond by coming to Jesus and receiving and thanking him for the life that he gives you, which is eternal life. Um, it says, uh, actually, in the, the book of Hosea, that take words with you. Come to the Lord and actually speak out loud to him. I'm not saying speak in the church, but get alone and talk to him and say, Lord, thank you that you died on the cross so that my sins might be taken away. So I might be clean in your sight. And so I might be able to go on uh, in knowing you and trusting you. And you need to be full of praise and thanksgiving to him. And seek to follow Jesus. Stay, once having found him, stay close to him. Now these shepherds, of course, found the baby Jesus. And, but of course, maybe later on in their life, I'm sure later on in their life, they did become disciples of Christ. Um, but we need 
once we find the Lord and trust him to actually go on with him and give our lives to him. Now may the Lord help us all um, to do that and to carry on with the Lord. Um, I'm just going to close in a word of prayer and then we'll sing the last hymn. Oh Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have this wonderful thing that you have done for us. That you not only were born as a baby and you not only had this marvelous uh, life as a, a carpenter in which you lived for the glory of God, in which you showed, Lord, uh, by your obedience that you were prepared to, to spend uh, 30 years of your life, uh, uh, 15 years of your adult life, uh, working at a carpenter's bench, um, an unknown person, but patiently um, working hard for, uh, for the glory of God in your in your, in your work, preparing for your, life's, uh, for your life's mission. But then we thank you, Lord, for those years that you spent preaching and teaching and uh, showing your glory, living full of grace and truth. And we thank you, Lord, for your being prepared to set your face to go to the cross and not being diverted by anything, but setting your face to finish the course that you'd been given. And then, Lord, you went to the cross and there you took the terrible suffering of the whole guilt of the whole world, sins of the whole world placed upon you. And we thank you that you suffered and died, but you rose from the dead and are now alive. And we thank you, Lord, that we may in our own lives receive grace upon grace from you. Thank you, Lord, for forgiveness. Thank you for um, being saved. And thank you, Lord, that we have the power and strength to live for you in this coming week. And we pray, Lord, that you indeed will bless us as we seek to walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen.